Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag NBA. On this call, which was arranged by Chris Paul, the president of the Players Association, was LeBron James, Damian Lillard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, and Stephen Curry. All parties involved said that they believe that the season should go on, given that there are proper safety precautions moving forward. So whether the season resumes in Orlando or Las Vegas, they want to make sure all safety measures are taken to ensure that they have the safest possible environment. Yahoo Sports, Chris Haynes on the players wanting to resume the season. I guess the only hang up there, PK, is if everybody agrees on what proper safety precautions are, because it seems like that could be something that hangs it up. But there's a lot of money riding, and that's something that could make it happen. Yeah, that's really no surprise. I would agree with all that. NBA Players Association started polling its membership Tuesday about how individuals stand on a return to play this season. And their reports, those officials told players their individual responses and identities would be kept confidential with inside the Players Association. So do 60% of the players want to come back or 80 or 99? I guess the Players Association wants to know that. If you were a player, would you assume, oh yeah, this will be kept confidential? Uh, I wouldn't care if it would be kept confidential. I mean, if I have a conviction, what do I matter if somebody knows about it? Is my conviction based on uh, being popular in the public, or do I have a conviction and I'm willing to stand up and be counted for it? So who really cares? Well, because some people might think it's the opposite of what the boss wants, and the boss would care, and, you know, if you're at the end of a roster, your job could be in jeopardy. I would think they'd be more worried about that than the public, although they could be worried about the public, too. I wouldn't rule that out totally. Yeah, well, Dennis Rodman, when he was trying to make a roster, wasn't wearing a wedding dress. So you're going to vote accordingly to your job status. And it's not even going to be what you think. You're going to vote what your wallet says and you want to play. That's going to be your conviction. So if you're at the end of the roster, you have no stature to vote no. So you're certainly going to vote yes anyway. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey has opened the door for pro sports to return to the state. Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, NFL. He says they can all resume without fans on Saturday. We'll see if that leads to more baseball teams moving to Arizona Spring Training Complexes if they can't play in their own stadium. Seemed like that would be the first, first fallout. I don't think the NBA is going to resume there either way. Obviously could impact the NFL. Yeah, I looked that up, and Ducey's a Republican. It's falling along party lines. In its first statement on the matter in months, China's CCTV said Tuesday it has no intention of resuming the airing of NBA games. As the relationship between the sides remains icy in the wake of Houston Rockets GM Daryl Morey's tweet in support of Hong Kong protests last fall. Man, that controversy seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm expecting some very, very critical inflammatory comments from Steve Kerr and LeBron James and Greg Popovich. Oh, wait. No. Probably not going to get those. Not going to happen. DJ and PK. (laughs) Hashtag college basketball. 
Mid-American Conference announced that uh, it's changing the men's and women's basketball schedules and conference tournaments. Basketball conference tournaments will now have eight teams instead of the entire league, and they are cutting conference tournaments in other sports, including men's and women's soccer, men's and women's tennis, softball, baseball. Softball and baseball are also going to play only 30 regular season games. For people who worry about teams and sports going away, it seems like this is one of the early moves in that trend. Will it stop here? Men's and women's basketball are going to move to 20-game conference schedules also. All part of the MAC not getting more than $3 million uh, yeah, from the NCAA tournament this year. Right. So there's, there's fallout financially, but it's a whole lot better than having them cut. True story. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. NFL and club executives have agreed on a proposal to raise the debt limit for each team from $350 million to $500 million for the 2020 season. At a conference call, not sure financially what's going to happen, obviously, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Owners will vote on the proposal on May 19th, but it sounds like they're all going to be able to take on more debt. So... You get some really rich owners, but they may not have the cash on hand. Their money may be all tied up in assets. Now they'll have the cash, I guess, to pay whatever bills they need to. Giants have begun the process. Oh, go ahead. Just great. Giants have begun the process of scouting potential training camp sites outside of the team facility, which is in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Should that be their only option this summer? At this point... It's a long shot and simply being considered an emergency option, Coach Joe Judge said on a conference call. Gotta have a plan B. But I don't hear the Giants well, talk about I think about you have a lot happening. of teams in the NFL. No. I think you have teams in the NFL who don't train where they normally practice once the season starts. So I don't know that that's a big deal. I mean, the Cowboys go up to Thousand Oaks for a couple weeks, don't they? Yes, they do. I think it's actually pretty much split and can depend on how brutal the weather is where you are. Less expensive to just stay in your own facility, but you know, Cowboys in the middle of Texas in August, no thanks. July, so they, they go to California. Let's go to California. Right. DJ and PK. Yeah, but... Hashtag college football. Yeah, that's still a, a pretty fluid situation. We don't have any definitive answers, but but uh, you know there is some talk about maybe June one getting uh, you know introducing small groups back into the weight room. You know we'll see if that comes to fruition. But right now there's nothing concrete. We're just playing it by ear each day and and uh, getting the updates each day. And uh, you know if we are able to get back in the weight room June one, even on a limited basis, that would be great. But but that remains to be seen. It's Kyle Whittingham, the Pac-12 doing these uh, virtual press conferences. And Kyle, talking about when guys will be back on campus. The 23-school California State University system will primarily remain in virtual learning model this fall. That announcement did not provide any clarity on how the football programs and the athletic departments will proceed at San Diego State, Fresno State, and San Jose State. They left that as an open question, and I guess... For the Big Sky and for Weber State, you know, Cal Poly and Sac State, uh, the UC schools are in a separate system, but I think it's generally expected, even though I haven't made an official announcement, they're going to they're gonna follow along the same path. So that'll be K-12 
Cal and UCLA and UC Davis playing football there. So we wait to see how the Mountain West will be impacted. Will it be nine teams going forward or more or less? It's a slow drip of information here, PK. Seems a little early to me, but what do I know? And there will be some stuff going on on campus. They reference some labs and some nursing programs. So it seems like it left the door open for sports if they want to use that to explain why they're going to stay, uh, bring athletes back on campus. It seems like the door is open for that. So. DJ PK, there you go. That is what is trending. It is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up, we've got uh, Andy Grader. He covers the Minnesota Golden Gophers to the St. Paul Pioneer Press, and he is going to join us in about 15 minutes. Also be talking football with Stanford Football Insider, uh, R.J. How do I say his last name? Help me out. Best I can guess, Abatia. Abatia? Not Abatia? I'm going to ask him when yeah, he okay. comes on. Yeah, he's going to join us to talk Stanford as part of our spring football tour. Also, hoops at 8.30, Tim Lacombe, former BYU and Utah basketball staffer, jazz radio studio analyst will be here at 8.30. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. It really makes me wonder how the Jazz will be able to reform and come back together. How will they play and what shape will they be in? I think the Jazz have some things working for them. Quinn Snyder, he's a great coach and a good coach I think is going to matter a lot to how teams come back, how they prepare for whatever we're in store for. There are a few coaches in the league you'd rather have than Quinn Snyder in that circumstance, but also some things working against them. Traditionally, with Jazz teams, they're slow starters and good finishers. So with this interruption, I wonder what team comes back. Is it the team that still needs to work a little bit to click, or do they come back and pick up where they left off? The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Master Electrical Services. Master Electrical is always open during this challenging time. Call Master Electrical at 801-543-2222 for upfront pricing and your satisfaction is guaranteed. Master Electrical will light up your day. All right, we got multiple questions up on our Facebook page. DJ and PK, Deseret News, is running a uh, series of stories with Bronco Mendenhall. Question, what do you think of Bronco now? PK, were you surprised by the responses here? You've been over some of them. They surprised you at all, or was it pretty much what you expected? I'd say probably what I expected. And Bronco's a polarizing figure. He's a great coach, though. I don't think that can be really debated. He can take something and build it. And I think maybe he overstates some stuff as far as the elite competition every week. I would question if that's really true. Just because you're a power five doesn't make you an elite football program. And we've seen the, you know, it's pretty much uh, off the top of my head, I would say 50-50 in terms of programs that are pretty good and programs that are average to below average. And there's certainly 
every year, non-P5s, the better non-P5s, really have no problem beating some of the other P5 programs. It's not that big of a shock, really. And I never thought it was. I thought that you could go back and look over time when there was no such thing as a Power 5, but they would refer to them as BCS conferences. The middle to below could get beat uh, somewhat regularly by power on the group of five which you know we didn't call them that that back then so i think that's overstated but as far as going what he did first year two and ten losing to programs that weren't even at the same level and division and now building it up in four years he's a very very good football coach you have to give him that a polarizing figure yes i've always enjoyed being around him i never had any problem with him i know he was somewhat stilted or convoluted in his language that he would use but i always found him to be a great interview so i have i really have the utmost respect for bronco mendenhall but all the comments you know he was in such a public job and it was so visible here and he was here so long that I, I don't think there's that much new to learn. I mean, he overstated some things then. He overstated some now. Nobody's opinions are 100% on anyway. So I guess you could say, well, is he overstating stuff about Power 5 schools because now he's in one of them? Or is it just, you know, that's his opinion? I mean, we, it's what you say. We see schools from the Mountain West Conference beat Pac-12 schools. And we see... Max schools upset Big Ten schools. So is it really that big a shock when Hawaii beats Arizona? Arizona's been bottom half, if not you know bottom quarter of the Pac-12. Not a big surprise. Exactly, yes. So I would debate whether it's top-flight competition every single week. I mean, I would even debate Alabama plays top-flight competition every week. Because there's always going to be a top and a bottom. And I think that the programs at the bottom of these Power Five conferences, they don't necessarily have to stay at the bottom all, all the time. It's not, that's not the case. But I do think that when they're down, they're not very good. <laughs> and so you look at their situations and they become easy. And plus, when you're only playing eight conference games, that gives you an opportunity to add an extra victory or two. You look at what Broncos done this just this past season, three and one non-conference, losing to who was it? Notre Dame. They lost to this past season. I think Notre Dame was tenth ranked at the time last year. They're playing Liberty. They played Liberty every year the last couple both years. Just going on the last two years is what I only looked at. And then they got, like, Old Dominion, and they've got built-in teams. And then they lost to Indiana last, not this past season, but the year before. Indiana finished 2-7 and seven in the Big Ten on that year. So, you know, you're, you're giving yourself three wins with an opportunity to get four wins. And this year I think they're playing Georgia, so you'd have to assume that they're going to lose that one. So they can get 3-1 and one in non-conference. And then this past season, too, uh, the teams that they played, I think they went 6-2 and two in conference. Uh, four of those wins were against teams that didn't have winning records. And the other two uh, that, that they had, I think, were Pittsburgh and North Carolina, I want to say. And I think they finished 4-4 four and four in conference. So that doesn't detract from what 
what a great job he did because they were losing all those games before he got there, right? When they went two and two and ten that first year, they lost them that year too. So just in four years to to get them respectable and get them in the Orange Bowl, they they won their division, the Coastal, which isn't exactly you know the SEC uh, West here. Uh, that it was still a great accomplishment. They got slaughtered by Clemson, like something like sixty-two to seventeen in the in the ACC title game. But there's opportunities there to, to get victories. Doesn't detract from what he did. Just to get to that level is very impressive. But I would just caution and pull back a little bit that they're playing a murderer's row every week, week in and week out, just because they're in a P5. I don't want to get P5 snobbery, no matter who you are, because they already have enough advantages. So I'm not going to give them advantages that are just simply assumed, but not aren't, aren't actually reality out on the football field. Yeah, I can sign off on all of that. And uh, you know, as far as their schedule, I mean, the ACC's got Clemson at the top, but it's not that good after that. And there have been some bad losses for the league. But Virginia is sitting on one 10 win team all time. That was in the D News stories. If you're reading the, the series that they put together off an interview with him, they've done, a, I don't know, at least three stories that I think have touched on him. So. Well, you've only got one 10-win ten t- uh, season in school history. Uh, I don't, I don't want to start throwing back nine and fives. But you're right. If you get to beat I, up on some yeah. four and eight or five and seven teams, it just doesn't feel like murderer's row. And it's not just dump, dumping on the a- ACC. I mean, we've seen the Utes playing Arizona, Colorado, Oregon State. You know, some of those schools have had good teams, right? The, the Arizona and Colorado have won the division, and Oregon State – uh, had a really good team that didn't win the division, but I think they had like a nine-win season early on when Utah was in the Pac-12. But they've also had four-win seasons and three-win seasons. So, man, when, you're, when you've got three or four wins and you're scheduling two or three wins, it's just not that tough. Right. I think in uh, something that I already knew about Bronco and reading Jeff Call's uh, material that he's been putting out there, uh, one of the things, it seems like Bronco – wants to have his feet in both the, both sides or the cake and eat it too, whatever expression you want. What I, what I mean by that is that he got smothered in Provo. There's no doubt. BYU football is too big of a deal. And if you're the coach of the BYU football program, you are just a massive celebrity. And, you know, Kalani is a big-time people person, right? There's not, and this this quarantine has got to be so tough on him because he hugs everybody. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are, you know true, what I mean. It's he a gives true you that bro story. hug. Yep. Yeah, it's just who he is. It's his personality. It's true, and he's always been that way. Whether he when he was a, a, a player, I covered him as a player. I was working. I had the beat when he was a football player, and he was gregarious. And when he was a lowly assistant coach, making his way up, that's just who he was. He always made you feel like you were the most important person in his life. And his wife, it's the same thing. You know, I didn't, I've had a few interactions with her, not very many, usually after games in the south end zone there when uh, you came out of the interview room when she was at Utah and the families would be outside there and she would see me, come up and talk to me. So she, she loved me on Channel 2. She didn't like you, but she liked me. 
And all right, I just made that part up. But uh, you know, she was there to talk to you, and, and Kalani just so personable. So I think he handles it better. Where Bronco, that's not who he was, right? That's just not his personality. But I think that in terms of having his feet in both places, he wants to be playing big time football. But he doesn't want the trappings of celebrity that come with it. And that's not being critical. That's more of a just a analysis of the situation. So I think he loves being at Virginia because, you know, it's a elite academic institution. And it reminds me a lot of uh, Fort Collins, if you've ever been in Charlottesville. I have been there for work. And it, it just the, being in that community reminds me of what it was like to be in Fort Collins. Beautiful community, no doubt about it. You know, you could see yourself living there uh, if you, you know, if you ever had to, whatever, whatever employment dictated that you moved to those two places. Those, neither of those places would be the worst place in the world to live by far, by, by any stretch. And so, you know, in Fort Collins, they wanted a good football team, but the community never really just live and died by it like they do places at BYU, for example, or in the South or any of the, and, you know, Big Ten has an, a plenty of those places also. And so he wants to play at a high, high level, but he doesn't want to be pestered or bothered when he goes out. He wants to move in the community freely. And I get that. That'd be great. But sometimes and a lot of times those things go hand in hand because I'm guessing when Urban Meyer was in Columbus, you know, he couldn't just move freely. And Nick Saban down in Tuscaloosa and I guess maybe, uh, what's his face, uh, Orgeron now in Baton Rouge, you know, because those are college towns. They're removed from the bigger cities a little bit, an hour or two, depending on where you are. And so they want those both those things, and I don't know that you can have them at the same time. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We'll get back to... Uh... Get back to more on Bronco later in the show. You can hit us up on our Facebook page, DJ and PK. Right now, time for the spring football tour to continue. Andy Greeter joins us. He covers the Minnesota Golden Gophers for the St. Paul Pioneer Press. And he joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Andy, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. Uh, I'm a little curious here as uh, as we talk to you about Minnesota. Minnesota showing up on uh, BYU's schedule here. I'm curious because Minnesota has had periods where they've been really bad, and they've had periods where you know, they've been pretty good. Eh, bowl team, seven wins or whatever, headed off to a bowl game, but 11 and two is off the charts. Now, is there this notion that that is sustainable? Is that something that's viewed as a once every three year peak? How good is Minnesota supposed to be year in and year out now that they've gotten to this level? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think uh, uh, what's different here is is having P.J. Fleck. Um, they've shown improvement uh, in each of their three years, and that's what P.J. did at Western Michigan as well. Yeah, I think the big question is, is can they sustain it? You know, they had a lot of returning production. I think they were 10th. Uh, in the nation in returning production last year and, and really benefited from that experience. Now, going forward, they have offensive playmakers that BYU is going to have to be uh, concerned about. And, and Rashad Bateman, who is the Big Ten receiver of the year, a guy who's being looked at as a potential top 10 pick in next year's NFL draft, uh, he's going to be a handful for everybody. Uh, but he loses uh, his running mate, Tyler Johnson, who went in the fifth round out of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, they've got an all-conference quarterback, second-team guy behind Justin Fields at Ohio State, and, and Tanner Morgan, 
Uh, they've got a thousand yard running back in Mo Ibrahim. They've got their entire offensive line back, uh, an offensive line that on average is, is bigger than the Vikings. Uh, so they've got nine offensive starters returning. So it looks like on that side of the ball, uh, albeit with a new offensive coordinator, things should be able to click there. Uh, defensively is where the bigger questions are. They've only got four returning starters back. They lose their you know, unanimous All-American Antoine Winfield Jr., who went in the second round, also the Tampa Bay. Uh, so there's a lot of holes on defense that, that uh, Joe Rossi, who has shown himself to be a capable uh, defensive coordinator in his two-plus years in that role, is really going to have his hands full uh, to be able to reload there. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of an open question. Uh, and defense is going to be the bigger question mark going forward. Well, reading some stuff on Minnesota, Fleck thinks Tanner Morgan can be the next Craig Curry. Now, who do you ask? Is Craig Curry? Well, he was the last Minnesota quarterback drafted by the NFL in 1972. Morgan is an overly big guy, but he was fourth in the nation in passing efficiency. So is he that good to be an NFL draft pick? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because uh, last year at this time, uh, he was the backup. Um, he uh, had lost the job in camp to, to Zach Anikstead, a, a bigger, maybe more polished-looking quarterback uh, from IMG Academy, a guy who has Minnesota ties but went to you know a, a school that a lot of people know of as, as a football uh, factory. Uh, so he uh, had lost the job uh, to him in camp, but when Zach got hurt, uh, Tanner stepped in and, and won a lot of games down the stretch for the Gophers uh, in 2018. And then Zach Anikstead got hurt again. He was also looked at as the as the likely starter, and, and Tanner Morgan came in again and uh, led the Gophers in an 11 and two season. <clears throat> yeah, he's uh, he's not the biggest guy. Um, you know, I would I would imagine probably barely six feet tall. Um, doesn't have the strongest arm, but is incredibly accurate. Uh, incredibly smart, uh, gets the ball in the right spots. Uh, he doesn't turn it over, uh, and is has, was incredibly prolific last year. Three thousand yards passing, uh, thirty uh, passing touchdowns. Yeah, just a, a, a surprise in a sense. Uh, but a guy who's done it over a year and a half now, so uh, he has a track record there. And he's looked at as a top five quarterback uh, by Mel Kiper next year's draft, and. He was uh, entering the Heisman Trophy conversation at the end of last year, and and uh, you know, incredibly humble kid, and, and looks at all of these things as as kind of uh, uh, you know revelations to himself as well. But uh, yeah, he's the established guy now. He might not be the the Justin Herbert type that you know just looks like a pro type quarterback, uh, but his production speaks for itself. I'm intrigued by this notion of Minnesota backing up one really big season with another big season. And they lose Rodney Smith, and okay, he's a leading running back, right? And he's an 1,100-yard guy. Mm-hmm. Behind him, they got Ibrahim and Brooks, who combined for 1,000 yards rushing. How does Minnesota get running backs out of Maryland and Georgia? Is there a backstory? Are there connections there? That, that isn't the first thing I would have assumed. I wouldn't have assumed there's that much depth at running back, and I wouldn't assume they're recruiting nationally like that. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. Yeah, they've they've plucked a few guys uh, out of Maryland, uh, but it's certainly not something that they do often. Uh, Mo Ibrahim uh, had a thousand yards uh, in 2018 when when uh, Smith was injured and, and Brooks, who's also a senior and gone, uh, was injured. So Ibrahim has, has shown to be uh, capable as a number one running back. 
Uh, the Gophers like to have a, a stable of running backs uh, just because they, they want to be balanced and they want to have fresh running backs uh, coming at opponents in the third and fourth quarters. Uh, yeah, I mean, the depth behind Bo Ibrahim uh, is going to be a question mark. Uh, you know, speaking of of uh, national recruiting, they've got Cam Wiley, uh, who uh, is you know probably 6'3", 215 pounds, and they got him out of Nevada. Uh, again, out of spot that the, the Gophers uh, typically are recruiting and getting people from, from Pac-12 and, and Western schools. Uh, so, yeah, there is a, a little bit of a national recruiting uh, since now, but they're also, uh, you know, really focusing on the Midwest. You know, in this recruiting class, uh, they've got a four-star running back uh, from the Chicago area. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting. He won't be in uh, here until the 2021 class. They've got a the Kansas, uh, the Gatorade Player of the Year, uh, coming from Kansas, and, and Kai Thomas, uh, who could be looked at as a guy who could play right away. So again, yeah, another question mark is is where does that stable of running backs? come from behind Ibrahim. So we talk a lot about the offense, and it looks like they'll be loaded there defensively, particularly, well, a couple positions, but I'll start with the linebacker. They lose Martin and Coughlin, both NFL draft picks. How are they going to reload there? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, Carter Coughlin is more of a, of a rush end, but, yeah, he's, you know, their most, uh, you know, worrying uh, pass rusher, and he was taken by the Giants in the seventh round. Uh, so they're going to have to fill him in. He was a Minnesota kid, uh, and they've got another guy who they feel like is is a freak that didn't have a lot of chances uh, behind Coughlin and Boye Mafe. Uh, so we'll see what he can do with the, with a bigger role. Uh, yeah, they lost uh, Thomas Barber. Uh, you probably know his older brothers and and uh, Marion Barber, who played a long time uh, for the Cowboys, and Don Barber, who played for the Texans and some other teams. Uh, he was their middle linebacker. He was a leading tackler. Uh, he got them lined up right. Uh, he has also gone uh, Kamal Martin. Uh, he was an outside linebacker, a freak-looking uh, athlete. He uh, went, I think, in the fifth round to the Packers. Uh, so those guys are all gone. All of those guys are Minnesota guys, uh, and they're going to have to replace them as well. Yeah, they got uh, uh, Mariano Sori Marin, uh, who played all three linebacker spots in a backup role last year. Uh, he's going to step into the mic role, and, and they're confident that he can – uh, feel the need there. Uh, Braylon Oliver uh, came in, in in blitzing packages last year and and uh, really wreaked some havoc, uh, especially against Iowa. And uh, he's going to have a bigger role now this year. So yeah, I mean, like we talked about at the start of this, you know, defensively, uh, they're going to need some guys to step up. But it's not guys that have never played Big Ten football before. It's guys that have had limited roles and success in those limited roles, and now. In a in a bigger uh, role, are they going to be able to to keep it up and uh, keep that level where they were? I mean, the biggest question mark is what they do with Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, and the production that he had. He was their leading tackler. He had seven interceptions. He saved the Gophers on a few occasions. Uh, just a, a guy with the pedigree of his dad, who was an All Pro, um, and Antoine Winfield, who played for the Bills and for the Vikings for a long time. Uh, and that's how he ended up in Minnesota. He spent most of his childhood here um, in Eden Prairie. And uh, they've got Tyler Newbin, who's a four-star recruit out of Illinois, uh, who played mostly special teams last year. Uh, you know, playing special teams and going to uh, to a starting free safety role are, are two different things. Uh, so that's probably the biggest question mark is they've got a highly uh, lauded guy uh, in Tyler Newbin, 
uh, but he has played very little safety uh, in impact situations. So that's going to be the biggest question mark. Eddie Greeter joining us. He covers the Minnesota Golden Gophers for the St. Paul Pioneer Press, and BYU goes to Minnesota September 26th, fourth game of the year. Uh, I'm curious here with the Gophers. Five guys drafted. That's a that's a school record. Uh, how many more NFL quality guys are scattered across the roster? What whether it's in the draft this year or, or maybe in two years, but guys who will be playing at a high level in this coming season. Yeah, I think there's a handful. I think five uh, is probably going to remain the record uh, going forward here, at least in the short term. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I mentioned uh, Rashad Bateman. Um, he was a, uh, a basketball player in southern Georgia uh, who the Gophers saw at a camp, and he wanted to play football and uh, um, committed to the Gophers before he had a great senior season and before SEC schools came after him. Uh, including Kirby Smart, who tried to swoop in late, uh, but Rashad Bateman honored his commitment and and, uh, and came to Minnesota instead of going to, to Georgia. So that was a huge a recruiting win. <clears throat> He's by far their most talented player. He's by far their most likely uh, NFL star coming out. They haven't had a first-round pick uh, since Lawrence Maroney in uh, 2006. So, yeah, this isn't a program like you guys talked about that is known for success that is known for high-level type talent. But I think we've seen that start to change under P.J. Fleck. And, you know, we'll see more guys uh, get drafted routinely. You know, they had five guys drafted this year. I think they had four uh, guys drafted in the previous four years combined. Uh, so uh, there is more talent coming onto this team. You know, I just look at this this current recruiting class. This obviously won't factor in uh, to this fall. But they've got five four-star guys in this recruiting class. You know, they might get one or two uh, in, a, in, a, in a given recruiting year. Uh, and you're seeing more talent come into Minnesota, and that, that usually translates uh, into talent on the field and guys that can play on Sundays. So uh, we're seeing more of it. We're seeing a little bit more uh, depth guys. Like like I said, Tyler Newbin, a four-star safety, uh, who can fill in for Winfield. And you're like, you feel a little bit more confident in that, just knowing that he was one of the top players in a in a you know, state that has talent like Illinois. So uh, we're seeing more of it, just a matter of, of keeping and maintaining that line. Because when P.J. was at Western Michigan, you know, they were terrible this first year, 1-11, uh, were good the next two at 8-5, and five, and then they peaked uh, the 13-1, and one, and P.J. left for Minnesota. So this is the first time uh, that Fleck is going to have to maintain uh, taking a team uh, to a top level and uh, the challenges that come with that. So this is a, a, a new thing that he's going to have to face, and, and BYU and, and all Gopher fans and everyone uh, is going to be watching to see if they can get it done. So what makes Fleck as good as he is? Uh, I think he's, you know, he's, he's obviously looked at as a salesman. Uh, you know, he's got the row the boat mantra, and, and uh, he gets ridiculed. Uh, for that often. He's very outspoken. He's not afraid to to talk. Um, he's he's good because if uh, players uh, buy into that, and we saw that last year, and we saw that pretty much throughout his time at Minnesota, he gets guys to play really, really hard for him. I know that might sound generic, uh, but that is something that matters uh, week in and week out. Uh, he's He leads with the salesman uh, angle, uh, but I think he's shown more and more uh, that he uh, is detail-oriented. The Gophers 
do not get penalized. Uh, the Gophers very rarely turn the ball over. Uh, they're very disciplined, and I think we see that in the practices. You know, it's it's all uh, very meticulous. Uh, so it's not just the the rah rah. It's not just the row the boat. It's not just the salesmanship. It's <clears throat> drilling down and doing the important details uh, on a daily basis. So those are some of the reasons why you know PJ has has been you know the coach of the year uh, <clears throat> in the Big Ten here this last year, and, and was a coach of the year in the MAC as well. And why he got a seven-year extension in Minnesota because uh, the proof is is uh, in the results. Has he been able to keep his coaching staff together, or has there been some turnover there? Yeah, there has been uh, some turnover, and some of that is because he's gotten good coaches. You know, Ed Warner, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, was uh, at Notre Dame and and uh, came in here. Maurice Lindquist, uh, who's now with the Cowboys, uh, those guys have moved on. Bryce Pop. Uh, obviously, that name uh, rings a bell. Those guys have have moved on, um, but uh, you know, Kirk Scirocco was his longtime offensive coordinator, a guy who came over from Western Michigan and had been with them for seven or eight years, uh, and now he left uh, to become the offensive coordinator at Penn State, which is his home state school. Uh, so there is some transition there, um, and Mike Sanford Jr. comes in, uh, another uh, offensive coordinator from. Uh, Notre Dame, who you know cut his teeth as a as a head coach at Western Kentucky, things didn't go very well there. Uh, but you know has been at Stanford and, and Utah State. Uh, you guys know him a, a little bit with his one year with Jordan Love there. Um, so yeah, there's been some turnover. You know there was a, a rocky point in PJ Flex uh, second year when the defense couldn't stop anybody, and he had to fire a defensive coordinator and and promote Joe Rossi, and, and Rossi's done a good job since. So, you know, it's been interesting. You know, there's always going to be turnover uh, in coaching ranks, but I think Minnesota fans uh, got a little familiar with how, you know, Jerry Kill kept almost the exact same staff for his entire tenure at Minnesota. And, you know, that's just not very uh, normal to see. Uh, and PJ has, has gotten a lot of young coaches, a lot of aspirational coaches, and, and those guys have, have moved up. Uh, as well as moved back to uh, home connections, so there has been some turnover. But you know, for the most part, it's it's uh, it's been consistent. Uh, there's been some position groups where it's been a new position coach uh, every year, and I think there needs to be more stability than that. But you know, there's there's going to be turnover uh, wherever you go. Andy, thanks for the overview of the Golden Gopher program. We appreciate it. Thanks for coming on for a few minutes. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. Andy Greeter writes for the St. Paul Pioneer Press, covers the Minnesota Golden Gophers Game 4 for BYU. And uh, there's question marks, because there's always question marks, PK, but it, it does sound like Minnesota's in a pretty good place. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, Fleck has just done marvelous jobs. That's the, the most interesting thing I took from that. I mean, you can look and see how many guys they got coming back, the quarterback coming back, and you can anticipate. You know, they, they lose four draft picks on defense, as you said. Five is the most they've ever had. That's great for them. But one of the fascinating things is looking what Fleck now can do to maintain because he built – 
built built Western Michigan took off logically to get more money strike while it's hot. We all agree with that. And then he built 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 and Minnesota had a fine season. What is he going to do to maintain? You know, you listen to those people who are there in that position, and they often tell you that the hardest thing to do isn't necessarily to climb the mountain; it's to stay there. Well, now Minnesota, the expectations are to stay there, and that's what's going to be fascinating to watch. Checking their schedule going forward, seeing how aggressive they're getting with their scheduling and you know where they think their place in the football universe is. Spread out over the next decade, they have two games. It looks like they're just paying teams to come in. Florida Atlantic, Tennessee Tech, Miami Bowling Green, New Mexico State. But once a year, they have the home-and-home home with BYU. They actually have a home-and-home home with Colorado and then North Carolina, Cal, and Mississippi State. So, yeah, they'll play Power 5 programs, but they're not looking at what you would consider the top 10 and the top 20 programs. They got their Big Ten schedule, and that's enough. So, interesting to see how they schedule. That return game, they're not coming to BYU until 2025. So, that's a ways out. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up, what you watched last night, and Tim Lacombe is here to talk basketball at 8.30. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. From Stadium Network, Brett McMurphy. The NCAA has no control over college football at the Division I level. Ultimately, it's the presidents that will make that decision. It won't be Emmert. If it comes down to this, we're going to have a season and the general students can't be on campus, but it's safe for the student-athletes to come back. We can play a season that way, or we're not going to play a season because the general students aren't going to be back on campus. We are definitely going to be playing a season because that's how critical and important the revenue is. As long as the health and safety of the student athletes is not compromised, then they will find a way to play somehow, some way. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. PK, I was channel surfing last night, and I saw somebody say something about the NBA and returning that I hadn't heard before, which I thought was unusual because I thought uh, there's been enough talk about it that every possible option had been presented. But uh, Brian Windhorst was on SportsCenter saying one option is the NBA shuts it all the way down until uh, October, doesn't do anything, comes back, finishes the 2020 season, does the playoffs, and then goes straight into the regular season with that December tip-off we've heard so much about. So there's, there's one more possibility out there I hadn't heard before. Interesting. I don't know that necessarily it's something that, something that I'd want at the top of the list, but circumstances dictate what they, whatever way they may be. So you'd look at that and think, all right, well, that's better than nothing, particularly if they can retain the money, if that's a carryover. I don't know how that works contractually. I would assume that uh, those things would be ironed out. But if th- that would be the, probably the most bizarre, because when we get to that point, we're looking at that time as being the start of the next season, and you're still a carryover with this massive break. That would be unusual. You know, we see breaks. You see it in your soccer and then also, too, for Olympic hockey. There's been some, but not to that level. That would be sort of along the lines of crazy. But these are crazy times, and I guess if that's what they have to do, that's certainly better than nothing. What were you watching last night? 
I didn't see a lot of options. I agree. It seemed like it was one of the slower nights for me. Uh, I agree. Option-wise. So, uh, you know, normally I've been able to fill my time. Uh, I was writing, so it wasn't like uh, I was totally bored. I just sent over Hatch will be poaching it posting that story here shortly uh i wasn't uh, totally bored but i flicked on espn and i watched uh, some old baseball the uh Derek jeter home run that he hit in 2001 against the diamondbacks you know then it was uh, after midnight and he came up with the mr november because i think it was in the 10th inning you know, because that was speaking of another delay in the season. Obviously, with 9/11, they had a little bit of a delay in the baseball season, and that was a dramatic World Series that the D-backs won in seven. We all know how that ended, but I, I just thought of of Derek Jeter, and I don't know that there's been a player in any sport who had a better flair for the dramatic than Derek Jeter. Now we're talking about a player who's a Hall of Famer. There's no question about it, obviously. But at no point would you say he was the best player in the game in any of his seasons. At no point, I don't think so anyway, would you say he's the best player at his position during those times? Maybe I'd have to go back and look through every single season. A very, very good player. So, you know, you say, oh, Michael Jordan had the flair for the dramatic and Magic Johnson had the flair for the dramatic. Well, of course those guys did. They're elite levels. Most people have them in their all-time five. I don't think that if you name a all-time eight baseball position players, I don't think Jeter's going to be there at shortstop. But yet the flair for the dramatic that he seemed to have was really something. You know, he goes into a game needing 3,000 hits, if I remember the story correctly, a few summers back. And what does he do? He goes five for five, and the fifth that he needed to get the 3,000th hit was a home run. It just seemed like he just had the unbelievable ability to be a showman at the biggest times, even though he was never really considered the best at his position or the best in the game. Yeah, I think you can think of three pretty big moments. That uh, home run you were talking about, Mr. November, certainly the the running over the first baseline in Oakland and flipping the ball. I mean, that's the signature play of his career, I think. But the the 3,000th hit is a good one, and, and you can't argue with extra inning World Series home runs. So that's pretty good. That's a pretty good resume right there, especially in a sport that can kind of sideline you. You know, like in a, in, a, in a basketball game, if you're on the floor, you know, you can get the ball. And in football, if you're a skilled player, you can get the ball. But in baseball, there's this randomness like, well, are you up that inning? You know, <laughs> is, there, is the situation right? Is the you ball can just hit be, at you? You can just be, yeah, if the ball hit at you so you can make a great catch in that key moment. You know, there's a certain randomness that can just, uh, it can put you center stage, but it can also uh, literally put you on the dugout. I'm going to throw this one at you, DJ, because you have a certain prowess that you had in Santa Barbara and took it up to Sacramento. Uh, You know, it's been a little bit of underground in Salt Lake, but I think it's there. And I relate it to Derek Jeter. Are you two choosing Derek Jeter's accomplishments on the field (laughs) or off the field? (laughs) Tomato, tomato there, am I right? Well, I can only speak from the stories you've told me, so yes, you would know. <laughs> All the supermodels. 
All right, DJ and PK, it's 8 o'clock straight up. Coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, Tim Lacombe will be here. Spring football tour takes us to Stanford in the 9 o'clock hour. Got a lot of reaction coming into Bronco Mendenhall. We'll share some of that with you. D-News reaching out and doing an interview with him. Uh, basically, it was a... It was a it was basically a Tiger Woods type uh, comment from Dick Harmon. I think they got a lot of feedback on that, and and, and <laughs> Dick wrote a column. Why are we doing it? Basically, you know, because we can. Uh, and so we got a lot of feedback on uh, Bronco. Uh, four years at Virginia now, almost five since he left BYU. We'll talk about that next. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty the zone.